You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Death on the Nile. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the newlyweds, Mr. and Mrs. Simon Doyle. You must meet Hercule Poirot. My congratulations, madame. Merci. He's only the greatest detective alive. I suspect you invited me for reasons other than the fun. You had something to hide. We have the Karnak all to ourselves, a chef and enough champagne to fill the Nile. When you have money, no one is ever really your friend. It's too late to change events. It's time to face the consequence. Someone is dead. The crime. His murder. Never again is what the murderer is one of you. Were you aware of any grudges? Madame is used to getting what she wants. Never again is what she I don't feel safe here. I don't feel safe with any of them. There are so many conflicting hates and jealousies. Oh, I like this. Did you see or hear anything? I did not trust her. I still don't. What did you do last night? You accused me of murder. He accuses everyone of murder. It is a problem, I admit. The murder was methodically planned. Find who did this. You are mad. Can I not trust you? What do you want me to say? Someone else is dead. You lie in my face! Lock the doors! The murderer is here. And will stay here. Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Death on the Nile, and the story is as follows. Belgian sleuth Hercule Poirot's Egyptian vacation aboard a glamorous river steamer turns into a terrifying search for a murderer when a picture-perfect couple's idyllic honeymoon is tragically cut short. The film is starring Kenneth Branagh, Tom Bateman, Annette Bening, Russell Brand, Ali Faisal, Dawn French, Gal Gadot, Army Hammer, Rose Leslie, Emma Mackey, Sophie Okonedo, Jennifer Saunders, and Letitia Wright. It is directed by Kenneth Branagh and written by Michael Green. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Emma Sasek. I hope you all brought your champagne. Dan Baer. <laughs> you lied to my face! <laughs> Daniel Howitt. I wish I had something as dramatic and hilarious to say, but for now I'll just say hello. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. So the only question on my mind... All I care about is, was there enough champagne to fill the Nile? That's all I want to know. There could never be. No. <laughs> Honestly, they were one bottle was not enough, if I do say so myself. <laughs> I will admit, I do think that some of us are in denial of death on uh, denial. No, no. Go home. Go back to bed. Nothing I say can be as bad as what we got, okay? That's all I'm saying. Oh, oh please. <laughs> all right, so this is Kenneth Branagh's second Agatha Christie adaptation after he directed Murder on the Orient Express, which came out just only a few years ago. This movie has been delayed quite a bit. I think it's actually had maybe the most delays of any movie due to COVID-19. Oh, no, wait. Actually, you know what? Top Gun Maverick would probably want a word, but... Yeah. 
this is definitely one of them where this has been sitting on the shelf for a long time. And part of that is definitely not just because of the pandemic, but because of a lot of the news that has surrounded uh, many of its stars here. And, well, that is made for a very interesting watch indeed when it comes to Hercule Poirot's latest adventure. So... I don't think we need to necessarily get into all of that. Suffice to say that uh, this cast is now, in 2022, highly problematic. A little messy. And Kenneth Branagh is currently, at the time of the release of this movie, riding a wave for his other directorial film, uh, Belfast. He's nominated for a few Oscars. And a lot of people are wondering, is this going to hurt his chances? Is it a critical disaster? Is it better? Is it worse than Murder on the Orient Express? And that's what we're going to talk about here. So... General thoughts to start us off here. Emma Sasek, what did you think of Death on the Nile? Well, aside from there not being enough champagne, um, I mean, it was like, it was it was like a whatever film, if I'm being totally honest. Um, I felt like before we got into the quote-unquote more exciting territory, which uh, has to do with a death on said Nile River, um, it just takes too long. Like, I really don't, care about a lot of these characters um a lot of the dialogue coming out of their mouths is very silly um and like i just didn't feel a whole lot of passion for the roles either i mean um kenneth brenna as hercule poirot just always has so much fun with his like very very deep accent um so he's always somebody that you could look forward to um a few cast members here and there that I'm sure we'll get into later, but just like overall, like I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of passion, um, especially surrounding some of the more problematic people on this cast. Um, But as far as like the actual murder mystery portion of it, I feel like it was, you know, it was, it was fine. Um, I, it's something I do enjoy in these movies is like being a detective myself and like, picking up on a clue that ultimately does serve me well in the end. Um, So it's always fun to play that game as the movie goes along. I don't know how big of a twist or how big of a um, surprise the ultimate uh, killer is in this film. Um, Or are there multiple killers? Ooh, we don't know. Um, But, you know, it was, it was okay. It was, it's not something that I don't, that I think I'll ever really revisit. Um, I do think that I did slightly, very, very slightly enjoy this a bit more than Murder on the Orient Express, um, even though, you know, the the former's cast was uh, a little bit more full of star power and, uh, you know, uh, more fun faces than this one. But um, I don't know. I, I came away with this one kind of a little bit, feeling a little bit, a slight bit of more energy than the first one but I also don't really remember a whole lot from the first one and I probably won't remember a whole lot from this one so I don't really know if this series is particularly for me but um yeah it was it was just fine slash eh okay all right Josh Parm what did you think of Death on the Nile yeah my thoughts on this movie are that it's not very good (laughs) um (laughs) It, it, I do agree that that first like hour or so of this movie takes a long time to kind of get going. And I understand you want to establish like the stakes and the character development before you get into like the actual murder mystery. But 
I just found the pacing to be so lethargic and they throw so many characters at you at the very beginning of this movie too, that it's really hard to keep track of like who they even are and what is motivating them. So I like Emma just didn't really end up caring all that much either. They even have a, a section where Tom Bateman does like an exposition dump yes. and just oh starts like saying everybody's name and who everybody is. This person is the niece of this person, and that's the uncle of that. I'm like, well, thank you so much. I mean, Matt, you don't do that at your engagement parties. What engagement parties? <laughs> oh, it's so rough, and and the fact that it's also like really bad ADR too just makes it even worse. So that was all really really tough to get through i think once the murder happens it does get a little bit more engaging it seems like it is starting to have maybe just a tiny bit more fun at that point but it still to me really struggles to create an engaging story and i think that these actors are good i actually do like kenneth Branagh's performance um he's good in this like he was in murder on the orient express that i think he actually finds ways to deepen this character a bit but I still really didn't find myself caring all that much. I agree that the mystery itself really isn't all that much of a mystery. I think you could figure it out pretty quickly. And in doing so, I don't think the movie then gives you enough of these characters to really invest in to make you forget about this mystery. So, yeah, at the end of the day, it's like it has some decent elements in it, but it doesn't really ever become very successful. It's also not very well shot either, which is rather shocking for Kenneth Branagh, I think. So, yeah, it's it's a movie that, at the end of the day, is not one that I really cared for at all. Daniel Howitt. Yeah, I, um, I'm a hair more positive than Emma and Josh. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of Murder on the Orient Express. I thought it was fine at best. Um, and, and then given all the delays that, Matt, you were talking about and, and controversies with cast members... You know, I I maybe couldn't have gone into this movie with lower expectations. And so that's why I'm so surprised that I I actually did. I liked it overall. I like Death on the Nile. Uh, It's good. Um, I wouldn't be much more generous than that, but it's good. Um, You know, I think uh, the movie took its time uh, some bad ways. uh, Like like Emma and Josh were saying, there was there was it took a lot of setup. Um, but then it, it had some interesting character moments, even for Poirot. Like, I think uh, I agree with what Josh said. Brana's performance here is 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 good. It's a solid performance. I think he's a great Poirot. Um, and I think this is much better directed than I expected, too. There's some nice artful touches. I really do disagree with what Josh said, uh, that it's not well shot. I actually, I, I did like the way it's shot. Now, I will say, uh, this, there's this weird tension in the movie where the movie has abysmal visual effects just terrible some of the worst i've seen in a modern studio film paired with really nice cinematography so it it, at that creates some odd visual moments occasionally Uh, but when they're on the boat and the visual effects aren't as present i thought the cinematography was quite good um i I think it's a a step above some of these you know, studio simple films, but um, you know, there's there's interesting things like shooting through refracted re- refracted glass. Um, so yeah, I thought I thought it looked nice overall when the visual effects weren't weren't uh, dragging it down. But I do agree, as a murder mystery, it's nothing surprising. This is run of the mill stuff. It, it, it feels old fashioned, like you might expect. Uh, it's it's tough to talk about the story not being surprising because at the end of the day, it is Agatha Christie. But uh, you know. It, 
it's it's just ultimately not that surprising uh, at this point, uh, especially when we have other you know murder mystery uh, series going on. So yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of setup. Uh, I'm not that invested in the characters. The performances are, aren't anything to write home about. But at the end of the day, the movie is somewhat entertaining. It's forgettable. It's it's nothing very special. But I was entertained, uh, and maybe that's because of low expectations. But whatever the reasons are, it's fun to watch beautiful people solve a mystery. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're just hanging out on a boat and solving a mystery. And ultimately, it entertained me. I, I'm probably never going to watch this movie again. But I didn't hate my time watching it. I can imagine like Hercule Poirot just pulling like a Maximus on you, Daniel, and just being like, "Oh, you're not entertained." <laughs> uh, we need more of your uh, Poirot impression, please. No, 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 no. We're good. We're okay. No, do not encourage him. Uh, Dan Bear, what did you think of Death on the Nile? I similarly did not go into this with very high expectations, not because I didn't like Branagh's version of Murder on the Orient Express. I actually really enjoyed it, and I thought it was pretty well done and loved that it had that sort of throwback Hollywood glamour to it. But I was not expecting this to be good because, frankly, the original Death on the Nile is not very good. <laughs> um and I think that's because just the story in the end is not as strong as something like Murder on the Orient Express, which uh, pretty much pins all its hopes on that ending and then earns it because you can't predict that ending. Whereas this, uh, it, it is fairly obvious what happened relatively early on and Brana makes it even more obvious, frankly, with one character decision almost right at the beginning of the movie that just, no, no sane person would do this unless it's a setup. And after that, honestly, I had a really hard time getting on the same page as this movie. And from that point on, I mean, really all throughout, because you have this black and white prologue um, that serves as an origin story for, hold on, let me check my notes, a mustache. Um, <laughs> I think that's a first in cinematic history. <laughs> we have to talk it, more about that. Oh my God. That is just like it. Uh, I get it. I, I get it, Kenny. Do, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, get why, I get why he would want that. But as an audience member, this has nothing to do with the story. I, I will say that, <laughs> you know, I do think that it is. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll wait for my opening <laughs> thoughts, actually. Yeah, because <laughs> I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> just It's just that the whole thing, it's no fun. And if I want to go to see a big giant glitzy gaudy star-studded murder mystery i at least want it to be fun but i got the feeling throughout this movie and and also a little bit in orient express too but there it kind of worked somehow that brano was treating this as a like prestige literary adaptation and Agatha Christie's novels are great murder mysteries. They're really well written, but they are still just murder mysteries. They don't they can't really stand up to the scrutiny of this sort of level of prestige that is that Brenna's basically imposing on it. And because if you do that, then it takes out 
everything that is fun. I mean, the perversity of casting French and Saunders in this movie in the parts originated by Betty Davis and Maggie Smith and then telling them to tone it down and play it straight. I mean, not straight, but straight. You, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, very disappointed is, in that <laughs> element, too. Yes. I, oh, I hated it. I hated it. I will say that there is one big twist in this for anyone who has read the book and or seen the original movie. And I actually did like that. I thought it did add some character depth and added a nice bit of dramatic heft to the end of the story that otherwise would not have been there. I also liked that they changed the ethnicity of several characters and then went almost out of their way to explain how those how those characters' ethnicity affected the way they moved in this world relative to the other people on that boat and actually used that in the storytelling. I thought that was done very well. But on the whole, it's... <laughs> I was just kind of sitting there going, okay, okay, okay. Like, it's fine, but I wasn't invested. I wasn't interested. And in the end, I didn't have a very good time watching this. And that makes me so, so, so sad. Because I still think that Brana is probably my favorite Hercule Poirot that has ever been in the movies. I do think Suchet is better, but that's TV. So, but yeah, it's it's a no for me, dog. All right. So I didn't really like Murder on the Orient Express, Brano's version, at least. And I went into this with pretty low expectations overall. I really did not think coming out of this that this movie was going to retroactively make me appreciate the filmmaking in Belfast more. But what do you know? <laughs> it did. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts to say on that on a technical level later. But overall, as someone who actually never read Death on the Nile and actually didn't see the original movie either, I was still pretty shocked that I saw the twist of this movie coming a Nile away. Oh. Yeah, sorry. Had to had to throw that in there. You're not sorry. <laughs> yeah, Go you're only up to that. that. But I agree with what's been said about Kenneth Branagh's performance as Hercule Poirot. I think that he is the glue that is holding this movie together, not directorially, but the performance. I actually really, really do like him in that role. And the fun of this movie comes from Hercule figuring out the mystery, interrogating people, putting the pieces together. That is basically the best part of the movie. And that all occurs in the second hour, whereas the first hour is this slow, plodding trudge through all of this exposition, all these characters, and I just did not care for anything that I was seeing, mostly because, one, I already have a detachment to so many of these actors that are in this movie on a personal level. Uh, but then also, two, no one's performance was really sucking me in except for tom bateman i actually like the inclusion of bringing book back for this movie um after he was in murder on the oriented express uh but this movie starts off with this prologue 
that serves as an origin story for Hercule Poirot's mustache. And right from the very beginning, I was actually pretty much into this. I was like, wow, we're getting this World War One set piece. Uh, great sound work. I'm really liking the filter that is being used here for the decolorization. I, I was pretty into it overall. And I was like, what is this all adding up to? Like, what, what does this all mean? And then when it was revealed when he's in the hospital bed after having the scars on his face that... It, <laughs> His lover is like, you should grow a mustache. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Because <laughs> after all of that, it's not even the reveal that it that it is about the um, the origin of the mustache that gets me. It's more so the continuity of the fact that he has these scars on his face that pretty much make him look like Two Face from The Dark Knight. Yeah. It's like massive. half of his face is gone. It is a massive scar that w- isn't remotely covered up by a mustache. And the yeah, mustache man. in this movie is smaller oh. than it was in Murder on the Orient yes. Express. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Nobody will ever know. Oh, so I'm right from the you. jump, I'm like, this is bad filmmaking, Brana. This is bad filmmaking. And I was really distracted by that right away. So whatever goodwill the opening was beginning to build with me was just immediately snapped. Then thematically, they try to weave this uh, continuation of uh, love as like this grand theme of this movie (laughs) and the things that we do for love. And it's like kind of redundant. Like how many movies have we seen where this is the grand central message (laughs) that the movie's trying to put forward, you know? Yes, but how many of them tie back to I would grow a mustache for love. That's how far I'm willing to go. <laughs> uh, I actually, actually, at first when I saw that opening, before the hospital scene, I literally was like, did I walk into the wrong theater? Like, what is this World War II movie? Me that too. I, I literally was like, what is this World War II movie that I'm like watching? And then like, Literally, when the mustache thing happened, I was like, "Mm, yeah, right movie. Of course, this is going to be in death in the fucking Nile. (laughs) And I actually liked the CGI that was done on Brana to make him appear younger. Like I said, I was very on board with that opening sequence. It was different than what we had seen in Murder on the Orient Express. And I thought it was technically, you know, well done. But man, I just cannot get over how the man's missing half of his cheek. And they say, oh, grow a mustache. It'll be fine. And it's like, where are these scars? I I don't understand. I need to ask for the skincare routine because it looks amazing. (laughs) I mean, I will say, to be fair, there is an emotional payoff for it at the end of the movie. You know, to give the movie the credit, it it does do that. Whether it is successful in that execution is a question. But just to be fair to the movie, they do bring it back they do pay it off at the end i would argue yes it's not very successful but it is there just to be fair it was a cute ending i i totally agree i will not say that it's not there i I just thought it was like i said a tad bit redundant like okay this is what the message of the movie is eh, okay everybody joined dollar shave club (laughs) (laughs) um and then when it comes down to the technical like aspects of this movie. Some of you brought up the bad CGI. There's one scene in particular where Book is speaking with Perot on the back of the ship, and it looks like something straight out of Jungle Cruise, where I'm like, what <laughs> oh is this green screen work? And why yeah, can bad. I see the lines so around the characters where the green screen is? Like, I just yeah. couldn't believe how bad the visual effects were. I thought the worst one was when... Um, 
right near the beginning of the film when book is on the on the pyramids yeah that was rough it was serious it, it's it's so bad that it's shocking i think it's wor- way worse than jungle cruise i think it's just it's like how did this even get put on the screen bad mm-hmm. it's oh it, it's really bad i i find it so funny how this movie looks more like something that was shot during the pandemic than belfast does <laughs> <laughs> yes also too i mean someone i think it was you how it brought up cinematography yeah i was not a fan of the cinematography in this movie either and i made that very very clear to dan when i when i was watching this because i was doing these like hand gestures Um, in particular there's one shot where dan just started like audibly laughing because of my reaction to it where um it's a shot that is pretty much the same exact shot from belfast that baffled me which is the behind the back low angle gunslinger like stance shot Mm. it repeats here again (laughs) (laughs) i just feel like there are so many unmotivated camera moves in this like there's so many showy moments with the camera that don't need to be there um there's one shot in particular of like gal gadot walking across the ship and the camera is outside the ship like on this big giant crane um yeah and then there is uh, the scene where uh, I'm trying to remember who's being. Oh, Book is being interrogated by Perot. Oh, God. The the yeah. lighting in that scene, for for whatever reason, I, I don't understand. It's like pitch black in the room. <laughs> like, why? And then the camera's doing like a 360 around them. It just it's completely unnecessary. <laughs> adding a lot of drama. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there were like all these moments in this where. I didn't understand once, and this was a similar problem I had with Belfast too that we talked about on our review. It just feels like these decisions to what to do with the camera, like individually, I can understand like from a composition standpoint, but together, editorially, putting these shots together to make your story flow, there's a disconnect. It just feels so jumbled. And to an extent, I think that works in Belfast because it's, you know, it's from the point of view of a child. Agreed. Yeah. It's, you know, how they see the world. It doesn't always have to make a visual sense because children don't always make sense, especially in a situation that is as confusing as that time period was. But here, (laughs) they don't have that explanation to fall back on. Actually, they're and... all children, so... <laughs> <laughs> Emotionally, yes. That's the real question. Here's the thing. I, I, there is nothing about Death on the Nile that's going to make me, like, defend it with, with my whole breath. You know what I mean? Like, I am not going to try to defend it very much because it's not worth it. But um, I, I don't disagree with your camera movements but I, for the most part. But I do think there were elements that I, I just didn't expect. Like, uh, right after... Um, I don't know how spoilery we want to get, but uh, right after one of the first kind of inciting incidents in the murder plot happens, uh, a gunshot rings out, right? And and there's this kind of long take that I think was really well executed and brought some good tension to that sequence as they're kind of waking up the rest of the ship. And so there's moments like that. uh, Like I also mentioned, some nice imagery with shooting through the glass on the on the ship. Um, I think the colors, though, though really overdone. Um, I think we're we're pleasant overall. So, yeah, I'm not going to defend it very heavily, but uh, it worked for me as a whole. Uh, so, what you're trying to tell me, how it is that this is not a Nile that you're willing to die on? You need oh to God. stop. 
You need to turn off your microphone immediately. (laughs) About to mutiny right now. (laughs) Does anyone does anyone know if this was shot digitally and then like tried to make it look like it was shot on film or if it was shot on film? Does anyone know? It was shot on sixty five, just like murder. Really? Really? I would never guess that. You see, it doesn't look you see to me, like the film green. The use of lighting and even to some of the color timing, I was I don't understand why this movie to me just does not look visually appealing. I really don't understand it. I looked over at Matt during um, and Gal Gadot's first entrance, into yes. the movie, which is like a big movie star like the camera loves that woman like no one else, literally like no one else. But but there is so much grain in that scene. Well, as you and know, I turned to Matt and was like, did, did they shoot this on film or did they go way overboard on the digital grain right now? Well, as you know, uh, of course, at this film that is shot, any film that is shot in Africa or the Middle East, it has to have yellow colors in it. So, of course, that's like the dominant color yeah. uh, in this entire film. And um, yeah, versus Murder, which was like all blues, like blue tints, everything super dark. I feel like you could change up these themes. You don't need to go all yellow just because you are in Egypt and in Cairo and everything like that. It, it just felt like to me like the the whites or, or even the light itself, just lighting, was blown out yeah. in yeah. this movie. There are scenes that take place like in shadow. And I'm even thinking about the, the final scene where he's uh, in the club. And there's like a spotlight in that scene too. Mm. Like it mm. is blown out. It is blistering white. Um, and you see so much more uh, film grain because of that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just feel like it's inconsistent throughout the movie. Yeah. I That much I can agree with. Yeah. Which unfortunately I think sometimes is a mark of Branagh's direction. Like I like Kenneth Branagh as a filmmaker overall, but he does have a tendency sometimes to indulge in very kind of big directorial choices that seem a little unmotivated within the story. I think that you can find that in a lot of his movies and it seems particularly present here where there are a handful of sequences that I think are well executed, but for the most part, yeah, the look of this movie just feels very much sort of overdone and not in a way that really serves this narrative all that well. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. Welcome to Novel Conversations, 
a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. And Dan, you were mentioning earlier about Gal Gadot's, you know, initial entrance in this movie. What about V? (laughs) (laughs) I know exactly what you're going to (laughs) say. My jaw hit the floor and not in a good way. I was genuinely shocked when they had this shot of the camera gliding towards her dressed as Cleopatra. Oh, my God. What? Yeah, I lost it. I literally was like, I love, what is this like sneak preview of her <laughs> Cleopatra film? And also the fact that she has this black wig on, like straight wig, like standing 500 feet over everybody. And then like just walks down in her white dress with curly hair, like nothing just happened. <laughs> it, it, I was living for that moment. I That moment was so camp. And like the, if you're going to make an adaptation of Death on the Nile, that's what you have to do in order to get the audience engaged. Because on a story level, not much actually happens, so it's not the most exciting watch. So you have to add this stuff, and they just didn't add enough like that. And I almost feel like this movie suffers from a similar problem that House of Gucci suffered from, where I almost get the sense that some of the cast members think they're in a certain type of movie and others think they're in another type of movie. Because I think Annette Bening really thought that she was in a more campy style film, because I think her performance (laughs) is quite over the top at times in a way that I hate to say this, I didn't think she was good in this. No, she's not. Yeah, This is like a worse... Uh, career performance from Annette Benning. And I don't like saying that because obviously loved her to death. Right. She's amazing. But no, this is like a low point for her. She's not good in this film. People were just so serious in this film. Yeah. Like it just took me out of it. I was like, this really doesn't need to be like this serious. And that's how I felt like with House of Gucci too, as you were saying, Matt, like this doesn't need to be the serious of a film. Like literally make it camp. I mean, I, I thought, like, Russell Brand, he was unrecognizable wow. to me. Yeah. I didn't even know if that was him. Yeah. And, you know, when you cast Russell Brand in your movie, I'm expecting the brand. <laughs> yeah. He was, like, stone-faced, like, literally cannot, like, stray, bring any bit of my wildness into this. I was just like, what am I missing here? Why is nobody like even remotely having fun with like a murder mystery? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while since I've seen Murder on the Orient Express. But wasn't that uber serious? It was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. But that movie is I felt like the actors in that movie were more deliciously chewing on their roles a bit more. Like there was more consistency across the performances, I felt. Yeah. But Murder on the Orient Express, like the, the story and characters, it has more of an operatic 
quality than Death on the Nile does. Mm -hmm. So it can hold that serious while sort of making it camp if you approach it the right way. Yeah. Okay. yeah, I mean, Murder on the Orient on the Orient Express ends with a wig reveal. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> for sure within that story. Yeah, I mean, Death on the Nile, like this whole thing is about love, scorned lovers. Hashtag House of Gucci. Like, I mean, you got to play that up. Like, have fun with that, and like, I don't know, like have people like truly act like ridiculous rich people, like how we know they are, like in one of Gal Gadot's lines where she's like, how much will it take for me to pay her off? Leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> like I, someone mentioned it before, but Don French and Jennifer Saunders, I was expecting them to steal the movie and they barely did anything for me in this. So I upset. Mean, so this, upset. <laughs> uh, how many of you guys have seen the original Death on the Nile movie from the seven or 80s? I haven't, actually. Nope. Okay, so one of the best parts of that movie is Betty Davis and Maggie Smith just sniping at each other throughout <laughs> the whole thing as, like, you know, this American socialite and her, you know, quote-unquote, travel companion who owns <laughs> her pantsuits. <laughs> like, and I don't want to get too much into spoiler territory, but I was glad with what they did with these characters on a narrative level. But the way that they performed them, it, 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 even the way that like they scripted their dynamic was so like, let us remove any sense of camp or fun or enjoyment from these characters and make them, you know, a kind of radical socialist American woman and, for some reason, a very meek, mousy Brit. And it's it's cute, but, like, these are two of the... This is one of the greatest comedy duos of all time. And you don't have them doing what they're best at. Yeah, they're completely wasted. I mean, <laughs> I don't uh, think anything has shown the blatant heterosexuality of Kenneth Branagh than wasting <laughs> those two actors. In this movie. <laughs> oh my God. And it, 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 it made me very upset, but it's, this movie is full of these like just perverse choices like that. I mean, casting Emma Mackey and Rose Leslie in the same movie when their roles should really be reversed. <laughs> <laughs> they the they look the same. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of disagree I with that. Had such a hard time telling them apart. No, 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 no. I did not have a hard time telling them apart. But what I did have a hard time was understanding uh, what Rose Leslie was trying to say with her line yeah, readings at times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the French <laughs> accent. I really feel like she was struggling with that accent. You know, they and gave we... people strange accents in this one for no reason. <laughs> And we've kind of danced around the cannibal in the room. Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. We weren't uh, dancing around it at all. Although I did like that scene in the beginning, the two of them dancing. They might as yeah. well have been fucking on that dance floor. My yeah. God. Yeah, that was it a was, lot. Imagine yeah, like watching them and like trying to enjoy your drink and you're like, uh, so this is this kind of bar, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I did feel like that went on for a little too long. Like. That was that was a lot. <laughs> it was far too long. And the thing about Army Hammer, like watching this 
after the allegations, it's just bizarre. <laughs> it's just like because he really is he's uh, pretty angry throughout the movie and uh, he is. <laughs> so it was just watching it was just very uncomfortable. There's a scene where he has to cry like openly weep and i don't know if it was supposed to be like intentionally fake but it just rang so false to me the man doesn't know what tears are (laughs) oh yeah that was rough it really was giving me like flashbacks to ansel elgord and west side story that's another really rough one it was that bad. Do you know who I liked in the cast? I really liked Sophia Okoneda. I loved her, yeah. Yeah. I liked her chemistry with Brana too, and any scene that they shared together. She was just yeah. electric any time, and I was like, yes, like, tell me your backstory. Like, any time she's on screen, I'm, like, fully engaged. And any other time, I was like, eh, whatever, okay, let's, let's get this going. Let's figure out who killed who. Do we know if that was her singing or not? It didn't. It did not look like, like it. No, it didn't yeah. sound like mm. live singing in that moment. <laughs> Which is fine. I that was one of the characters that they really changed from the book slash uh, original movie. Mm. Like in the movie, that is Angela Lansbury giving one of the best examples of drunk acting. Like. <laughs> Truly, the the amount of people in this movie who are just doing the most is outrageous because they understood that in order to make this movie an entertainment, they had to. And here, that is all gone in favor of treating it with, like, deathly seriousness. They actually understood the assignment back then. (laughs) Oh, they understood. <laughs> oh, yes. Did they ever. <laughs> All right. Well, at this point, um, I want to get to final thoughts on Death on the Nile. So anything that we didn't mention that you want to mention, whether it's about the plot, characters, technical aspects, I kick it over to you first, Daniel Howitt. What, uh, what final thoughts do you have? Um, my final thoughts are that I really didn't disagree with almost any of your guys' complaints on the film, uh, but I really did find it entertaining overall. So, um you know, it's highly forgettable, but it works. At, it works for what it is for for being a simple murder mystery with beautiful people. It's it's fine. It's good. You know, so um, it feels weird, like I said, to to comment on death on the Nile, like to comment negatively negatively on the story, because, you know, Agatha Christie did so much to revitalize, and make a permanent mark on the on the genre. But when you have like Ryan, Do- Ryan Johnson's Knives Out series, like just modernizing the genre and making it something fresh and new. It makes it hard to appreciate these classics in the same way. Although Clue is still an undisputed masterpiece. <laughs> sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Knives Out makes it, it, it felt like a bullet to the head of, of Brana's Poirot series because it just felt, felt so much more new, you know? And so I, I am positive overall with Death on the Nile, um, but I, I really don't need another entry. And And I actually felt like, uh, that that final scene uh, in in the bar felt like a goodbye for Bronis Poirot. I, I I mean they could make more movies, I guess, if they wanted to, but that felt like Brana saying saying goodbye to the character to me. So, you know, I'm okay with that. Um, I think this is a fine movie, uh, but 
that's about as generous as I'll be. I'm imagining now you're watching this, Howard, and you're thinking, oh, that's that's very nice. That's a nice sweet goodbye. Title card, Hercule Perot will return. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Emma Sasek, what about you? Uh, yeah, I actually did wonder, too, if that was going to be the quote-unquote end to this series. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, like I said, it was a whatever, okay, whatever kind of movie. Um, I do think somebody wrote this on Letterboxd, and I can't get it out of my head, but they're like, every word coming out of Gal Gadot's mouth sounds like a addition for a Super Bowl ad, and I just thought that, that was the funniest thing. Um, <laughs> but it, it really is. Like, some of the dialogue in here is so ridiculous and so stupid like i also just love how people are like wow hercule perot you did it you solved the murder on the orient express good for you like <laughs> i just think it's so funny how apparently everybody in london is like so tuned into this man solving these international <laughs> worldwide mysteries um yeah it's also like as he's like solving the mystery at the end and like putting all the clues together, especially with some like tools that may have been used in all of this. I mean, I was just like, there's no way this detective knows like <laughs> X, Y, and Z about like certain things, um, such as what happens when you put things in water and how thick properties might change. I'm like, how does this man just somehow know this entire encyclopedia of everything on earth? Uh, it was ridiculous. However, I do prefer that more ridiculous stuff to the more serious tones that these films unfortunately seem to take. Um, but as far as Murder Mysteries, boy, I cannot wait for Murder Mystery 2, starring Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston, only on Netflix. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, Josh Parm. Yeah, a lot of this movie I just find to be so, sort of frustrating because there are moments where it really does have potential to be so much better. And you see it even in some of these performances. Like, I think Emma Mackey is actually pretty entertaining in her role i think that she does a really good job i think tom bateman has some good emotions in his part too like there are some good performances here i don't think they're utilized very well and even the tone of it in that second half did start to get a little bit i won't say like schlocky at times but i could see it being a little bit more revelatory in a murder mystery like there's a moment when a body is discovered like in the spinning wheels of the ship. And that whole reveal, I thought, Oh yeah, that's that great. to me was a little bit more like, you know, we're not being so highbrow with it. It felt a little bit more like a, a B grade kind of a movie in a way that I really liked, but that is not a consistent tone throughout this entire movie. As was mentioned, it does have a very self-serious attitude a lot of the times. And I think that clashes with some of the more campy, entertaining elements that have potential to be, really engaging but never is tapped into properly and overall i just found it to be a movie that really struggled to create any kind of investment within these the story or these characters and even though there are talented people working on this film it just never really came together as something i was really interested in following and even though it is a very familiar kind of murder mystery i still think that if you're not going to be interested in the actual story you should be interested in the participants in that story and the themes that they're going for and all of that just felt very flat to me and despite some good elements here or there 
on the whole, it just was not a very pleasurable experience for me. All right. And Dan Bear. Yeah, I I wish this was better is what it comes down to. I did like everything they did with Tom Bateman, and I thought he was really good in this movie. The idea of bringing him back from Murder on the Orient Express, I think, works. And what they do with his character, um, how they integrate it into the rest of the story, I thought was really good. I really liked that update um, from the original text. But other than that, it's just I get the impulse to want to treat... Agatha Christie with a level of seriousness to want to say that, you know, this is a work of great literature, but it's not a prestige piece of literature made for a prestige film adaptation. It is a really well written murder mystery and treating it like a piece of serious art. While I appreciate the impulse to say that, you know, these books can be art too, I think they are, it takes away so much of what makes the book great that what we're left with is kind of this hollow shell. It looks really great and very glamorous and glitzy and like a top drawer Hollywood production give or take some of the green screen and visual effects work. But inside, it doesn't have the stuff that makes you want to see this type of movie, or at least that doesn't make me want to see this type of movie. Yeah, I wish I could have been more on board with it. More moments of Gal Gadot dressed in Cleopatra cosplay, less moments of her crying over army hammer <laughs> you will get that Cleopatra cosplay very soon no oh, the fact that that was shot before it was ever announced that she was going to be doing cleopatra makes Funniest it thing. even more camp i freaking love it she probably got the idea from reading this goddamn script uh, maybe i should be cleopatra <laughs> <laughs> literally my favorite moment of the whole movie and i wish that it had reached that level of camp again and unfortunately i don't think it even reached for that i just need to know like how tall these stairs were that she climbed on because it looked like it was only four steps and also (laughs) where the black wig went (laughs) i need to know (laughs) considering that there are some deaths that take place on this boat obviously otherwise the title would be uh, mismarketed to us um i need to know <laughs> did, people have like all black attire like ready to go in case somebody <laughs> dies hey if Hercule Poirot is anywhere near you you need to be ready for this yeah <laughs> they're walking off the ship at the end wearing all black and i'm like you, did you just like pack that just in case? <laughs> Look, black looks good on everyone. Yeah, you agree. Just just a fact. Although, if you are in a desert slash climate, <laughs> yeah. <not the> best <laughs> thing. Also, too, shout out to the CGI alligator oh, in yes. this movie. <laughs> I love that. So random, so out of nowhere. I have no idea why it was even there. It's very, very <laughs> weird. Because they're all predators, Matt. Oh, Jesus. Okay. I do want to sing the praises again of. Emma Mackey, I actually thought that she was pretty good in this overall. Uh, But this cast is such a mixed bag to me. This movie is such a mixed bag. 
and I'm not really a fan of the execution of these movies outside of what Brana is doing with the performance of Hercule Poirot. I I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just me, but I love detective characters. Like, I love Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock Holmes, for example. I just like watching these characters work. I like watching them do their thing. It's a lot of fun uh, to see how their minds work and how they piece things together. But, yeah, overall... I'm quite low on this movie, and I went in with low expectations, but uh, 4 out of 10. 4 out of 10 for me. Like, I feel like I'm being generous by saying that, too. Uh, but I think Murder on the Orient Express, I, I, I like that a little bit more than this. I gave that, I think, a 5, so this tracks. Emma, what about you? I think I'm going to land on a very light five uh, for reasons unknown to me. (laughs) For reasons unknown. (laughs) All right, Tango Howitt. Oh, come on. I'm a six out of ten. It's it's fine. It's fine. Aren't you the same guy that excused the, the visual effects in Jungle Cruise? <laughs> no. Are you that same Did guy? I? No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> okay. All right. I want to make sure that I was getting my story straight. Insult. All right. Dan Bear, what about you? I go back and forth, honestly, between a very light five and a very strong four. Um, and honestly, given how this movie has aged in my mind since I saw it, I'm going to go with a four. Josh Parm? I am basically going to agree with everything that you said, Matt. I am going to give it a four out of ten. I think Murder was one I did also give a five out of ten. Like, it was okay. I didn't hate it. It had some elements that kept me engaged. But this one, I thought is a little bit worse it's not like one of the worst movies i've ever seen it's not quite that bad but it's not something that i was ever really invested in so that's where i'm gonna land with this one let's put it this way if you're on a cruise and you're looking for something to watch (laughs) no yes this is what Uh, if you thought covid19 was bad for cruises just imagine (laughs) this movie being somewhat worse All right. And then as far as any type of awards potential goes for this, you know, it's crazy. Murder on the Orient Express actually did contend, I remember, that year for costumes and production design. So I have to bring it up because of that reason. But it being released so early in the year, it being dumped, I I can't even see this breaking into a costume conversation, let alone production design. I I don't think the production design in this is nearly as decent as it was in Murder on the Orient Express. Visual effects shortlist? Oh, please. No way in hell. (laughs) Absolutely not. I actually do think that this could contend for costumes. It is Paco Delgado. Um, He has a good relationship with that branch. They're gorgeous. This will likely be the only film of this period that comes out, I think, in 2022 i do i think it's likely that it will get nominated probably not but i would not be surprised if it did well we also have babylon which that's that's about the same oh yeah yeah that could that could steal a lot of thunder if that comes out yeah I, i i think i don't think there's any oscar potential here and i'm the most positive positive one on the on the podcast uh yeah like you said, Matt, I mean, being dumped in February and uh, if Mortar and the Orient Express didn't get anything 
uh, and that was right in the heart of Oscar season, there's no way this one contends for anything. Agreed. It also just had, it's mostly just really bad green screen. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also Murder in the Orient Express, like the actual train cars were like very beautifully done. I feel like there wasn't a whole lot of passion on this boat cruise, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I get that too, for sure. Also, I, I just want to just throw this out there because I always find this to be fascinating to me. Uh, produced by Ridley Scott. I saw that too. I was yeah, like, yeah, huh. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing what movies this man attaches his name to as a producer when he's not directing. It always, it always fascinates me. The busy guy. Yeah. yeah. I wish the uh, quality would be a little bit more consistent. <laughs> right. What, how, like, how hilarious would it be if he attached his name as a producer to a movie that one day just won Best Picture, but he had nothing to do with it? <laughs> like, that's the one where he's that's... just an executive producer. Yeah, yeah. Any movie that he's associated with that should be campy in the last few uh, films has not turned out to be that way. So maybe he needs to stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for our review of Death on the Nile here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Dan Bear, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Dancing Dan on Film. Emma Sasek. You can find me on Twitter at Emma underscore Sasek or on Letterboxd at Emma Sasek. Daniel Howitt. You can find me on Twitter at HowittDK. And Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Champagne to fill denial. <laughs> 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 I, but the camera yeah, loves her. Allegedly. Coming up on Five Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.